compares the best? Well, how could you possibly know when you've got nothing to compare it to, sir? Well, you do now. At Secret Sauce, we've got the real secret to making the finest beer in the world. We don't add filler ingredients or anything else that's known to be toxic to human beings, no matter what the Aphis priests say. And we definitely don't add grass. At Secret Sauce, we treat our workers with dignity and respect. Never heard of us? That's cause it's a secret. Secret Sauce, follow the Green Witch. This is Alicia August, and you're listening to Seeds. At Franca's funeral, as the flames glowed low, Franca's body, now completely made of ash, started to cave in on itself. First, the bridge of his nose. Then, the rest of his face, his chest, torso, feet. Eventually, there was nothing left, except a few stray pieces that floated out away from the pyre. Now it was the high priest's turn to speak the word of return. But he was busy speaking to Mason, the militia captain. Mason glanced in my direction, searching my expression with his cold, grey eyes. I noticed one of the multipliers, the one who'd looked like he was about to cry, walked through the crowd, out the fringes of the perimeter. I couldn't see him properly, but his back was turned to the nearest Salitran citizen, and it looked like he was speaking to one of the morning multipliers at the edge of the crowd. When Murphy had finished whispering about me to the new high priest, Arnold called Mason, the militia captain, over to him. They'd been speaking in hushed tones for about 20 minutes, when finally it was the high priest's turn to speak. He nudged Mason in my direction, then stood in front of the pyre to speak his final words. As Mason approached, Bertrand Namini stormed over to the straying multiplier and grabbed him by the ear. He slapped him across the face several times, leaving red marks across his cheeks. I felt really bad for him, but I felt worse about the fact that, really, I was just thankful not to be him. Alicia, you need to go home. Have I done something wrong? Yes. What? This isn't the place. Actually, I think Frinka's funeral is the perfect place for this. Go home. I'll take it. If you do that, I'll just have to make a scene which might ruin the morbidities. You think anyone here will care? Look around. None of these people like Two and a half thousand listeners would probably disagree. Okay, so I've got to admit, on the surface, Mason was right. Everyone at the funeral watched our little argument escalate, and it was hard not to think that most of them despised me. I was acting extremely irrational and extremely impolite, two of the deadliest sins in a world without sin. If it's true, if you hate me so much, why would you listen? Why do you listen? I'm betting you're just scared. Scared to say you listen. Scared to ask a question. Scared to have an opinion. 
They don't hate me. You don't hate me. The Order hates me. At least, they do now. Arnold watched our argument. He hadn't started speaking yet. Jerry nudged him in the back and Arnold broke his gaze. This was really what I'd come for. Arnold left me, trapped in my home by four armed guards. He said I destroyed my own house, implied I was crazy. I almost believed him. Except it didn't make any sense. He never called me crazy when I was investigating the insignificant squabbles of ignorant farmers. He only became aggressive when I started to investigate him. Okay, but for the moment, let's, let's assume I am insane. He also said that Salitra doesn't have the facilities to look after people like me. So what? We don't have the facilities to look after someone like me, but we do have the guards and weaponry to guard someone like me? <laughs> In Salitra, there are only 10 members of the militia, to just over a thousand residents. That's one militia to every hundred residents, and at least triple that amount of multipliers. So. How can they spare almost half their force just to contain one stupid little leech? Either Arnold is incompetent, or he thinks my investigation is a real threat to him. Right then, and now, I was certain that Frinka's death was neither an accident or a suicide, and that Yandera McConnell's story had more to it than we were being led to believe. I thought back to the trial, back to that awful image of Yandera McConnell screaming at us through his soundproof box. Why would they lock him up unless he could have said something they didn't want us to hear? I've been to just about every single trial that Salitra has ever had. They have never locked the defendant in a soundproof box before. That's why I had to get out. They were trying to do the same to me. I needed to get out of my house Go to Frinka's house and try to figure out how he really died. There's no way he burned his own house down, possibly destroying our only source of clean water in the process. I'm sure by now you've already heard the Death Priest's pitchcast about how I escaped from the militia. It's been a few weeks since this happened, and I'm now far enough away that I can finally tell my side of the story. The truth. First, for those of you who might not have heard it, Here's Death Priest Jerry's version. Time for a public service announcement from the priests of the Aphist Order. Dear citizens of Salitra, a terrible set of events has recently occurred in our normally peaceful settlement. These events, and those involved, threaten to upend our peaceful way of life. I ask that you listen to this rationale of the events, so you may prepare yourselves with the information necessary for your protection. Many of you listen to a pitchfork broadcast made by Alicia August, a known liar 
and dissenter. Over the past two months, Miss August has been conducting a so-called investigation surrounding the death of our beloved High Priest Marte Akomo. Some of you will be aware of this, others will not. She has produced little in the way of evidence or fact, but has nonetheless reached for irrational, unsubstantiated conclusions, which have supposedly incriminated several of Salitra's most upstanding members of society, including Samuel Frinker, High Priest Arnold, the Naomi Brewery, and myself, among others. We did all we could to protect poor Alicia from herself. When we apprehended her, she was running naked through the trees. She fell and broke her ribs. Several of our militia volunteered to watch over her, to protect her. Unfortunately, she has proven to be a danger, not only to herself, but to all of us. In a fugue state of rage, similar to that state which caused Jan Derry McConnell to murder my uncle, Alicia August threw several buckets of acid at two members of our militia, both of whom have now died of those injuries. Our hearts go out to their families. She proceeded to attack her two remaining protectors with their own rifles, maiming one. She then fled the scene of the crime into the forest. She was then spotted at Samuel Frinker's home and water treatment facility by one of our brave militia, who said she admitted to burning down Samuel Frinker's home, which we had previously considered a suicide. We suspected that Alicia August would flee into the unknown lands and there to die or live as her wits would allow her. That was an assumption we should never have made. As you all know, she attended Samuel Frinker's funeral. In fact, we believe she had a hand in the horrific events of that day. We intended to arrest her after the crowd had dispersed out of danger, as it were. As you know, that did not happen, which is why I am the one who must deliver this message to you. If you have any clue as to Alicia August's current whereabouts, we ask that you please tell us as soon as you can. Do not approach her. Do not speak to her. She is extremely dangerous and cognitively incapable of reason. Thank you for your cooperation. Stay safe. Stay alert. This has been a public service announcement from the priests of the Aphist Order. Thank you. Okay, citizens of Salitra, let's unpack that a little, shall we? Allegedly, I had possession of high quantities of acid in my home. Why? 
why the hell would I keep buckets of acid in my house? For what? Just in case I foresaw the militia putting me under house arrest? That's laughable. Even, even if I wanted to keep buckets of acid in my house, where would I get it? Acid's pretty hard to make, and I certainly don't know how to do it. That seems like something only those with expert scientific knowledge would be able to know how to do. Second of all, why compare me to Yanderu? Come on, Yandere went missing for five years, then randomly reappeared as if by magic and savagely murdered High Priest Mate. No matter what way you want to phrase it, I was under arrest without charges. Even if I had attacked those men, I would have been within my rights. But I didn't. Don't you see? They're trying to vilify me. They don't want you to know what I know. High Priest Arnold said I was paranoid. You heard him. He said that recording everything was something a crazy person would do. Well, guess what, Arnold? If you can hear me, I'm going to tell them all what really happened that day. And I've got evidence to back it all up. What have you got? Excuse me, who's in charge here? I walked out of my front door to speak to the guards. Me? What? I'd like to go for a walk. <laughs> Good one. Okay, so I have to admit that was lame. So was what I did next. I pushed the guard over and ran towards the forest as fast as I could. Unfortunately, it wasn't fast enough. Just as I got to the edge of the clearing, one of the guards jumped on me and pushed me to the ground. When they got me back inside, they tied my hands and sat me on the couch. One of them, the one I'd pushed over, sat and watched me. I figured I'd make a little light conversation. Were you there the night the high priest was murdered? And, you know, dig. Quiet. So you were there? No, I wasn't. Oh. So where were you? Nowhere. Back at the barracks. Shut your mouth. I'd be sad too. I'm not sad. Sad about what? You know. No, I don't. Come on. You know. Know what? Well, none of you guys showed up, right? I didn't know how many militia showed up that night, but hey, maybe... Plus, if this guy had been sent to watch me, I guess he was the runt of the litter. So, you're the only one they don't trust. They all have a story and, well, you don't. You don't know anything. I'm pretty sure I know more than you. I guess Mason trusts me more than he trusts you. I wasn't on my own, so shut up! Oh, I'm sorry. Did you have a babysitter? I got at the barracks. Guarded the barracks! Oh, <laughs> right. From the creepy crawlies? From people like you. So you must have done a crappy job. What? Well, Mason had you guarded alone that night. So you must have fucked it up because he sent five of you here just to guard a single woman. I guess you're just a crappy soldier. Shut up! You were training the recruits! Ten militia. Two of them graduated recruits. About fifty more new recruits, too. 
This guy was no trainer, so he must have been assisting the sergeant. That means eight showed up to Mate's house on the night of the murder, Mason and the seven regulars. You mean sleeping? Shut up! We was training. We trained from 5 a.m. to midnight, non-stop. We're the fucking elite, so shut your mouth or I'll show you what elite really means. That's okay. I'm a crappy journalist. Shut up! I thought, maybe, if the sergeant had a different story to Captain Mason, even if only slightly, then I could start to pull on some new threads. If the aphists were lying, which they definitely were, come on, he would have rehearsed the same story as Mason. But that fake story would only represent the happenings of the murder. If I questioned him, he might slip up on something seemingly insignificant. First, I needed to get out of my house. And I definitely didn't have the equipment, the skills, or the sadistic inclination to hurt this poor guy with a bucket full of homemade acid. Look, if you believe that story, you might as well just stop listening right now, because you're already lost to their lies. What the fuck was that? Oh, that was Whitey. Of course I didn't name the rats. I hated the rats. But the look on his face when I told him about my pet wild mutant rat was precious. You're full of shit. Maybe, but I don't see how that's relevant. You haven't got a pet rat. That's mental. <laughs> but take a look. He's probably in the pantry. He grabbed his rifle and walked into the kitchen. From where I was, I couldn't see him, but... Ah! What's going on? Sir, she's got a pet rat. Don't be mental. That's mental! It didn't take long for them to decide to leave me on my own again. Still tied up, of course. None of them wanted to catch whatever shit that scabby rat was carrying. Every year we get an outbreak of something new from wild animals. Sometimes it's bad, sometimes less so. I mean, the worst was cholera. <laughs> we definitely got that from the rats. It killed off about 30% of Salitra's population. I didn't like having them, but I guess with rats, you've kind of just got to accept that once you got them, you got them. But how were they getting in? When the militia had all left and gone back to their positions guarding the doors, Whitey scampered into my living room. He gnawed and licked one of my overturned buckets of namini. He turned and looked at me unimpressed by my pathetic attempt to seem threatening. He approached my feet and went to nibble on my shoe, so I kicked him, again. He darted away. I chased him, my arms still tied to see where he ran to. I followed him all the way to the toilet room, where I had previously suspected they were hiding, but he was gone. He definitely ran into that bathroom, so I guess there must have been a hole somewhere. Then, when I took a closer look, I saw it. At the base of the toilet, a tiny crack between the toilet and the floor, no more than a few millimetres wide. But there was a little blood congealing over a scab which must have scraped off along with a few long white hairs. I went to my kitchen and got a knife then went back to the bathroom and cut the rope they'd used to tie my hands together. Then, quiet as a mouse, stuck the knife into the crack and prized up the board. I figured 
I'd seen rats out in the forest, and then I'd seen the same rats in my house, but never on my property. What if there was like an old secret sewer system or something beneath my house? Maybe that's how they were traveling. Maybe I could escape that way. Anyway, when I prized out all the wood, it was obvious that I didn't have much longer until the rats took over my house anyway. They'd eaten most of the foundations. Sorry, Mom. I pulled up a few more floorboards. The more boards I pulled up, the louder the sound of the rats became. I didn't want to get in there, but if I didn't get out then, I may never have gotten the chance again. The order had decided that I was worth imprisoning. As I've said, I've been to every trial in Salitra's history. I've never once seen anyone accused by the order not end up in prison. Even their families agree to their imprisonment because our system is just so fair and orderly. No, they're all just too fucking polite to complain and too scared they'll follow them into prison if they do. I went to the pantry to get some bait. About 30 rats crawled around and I had to step in between them to get to what little food I had. I laid that food in the middle of my living room and made a trail all the way to the toilet room then sprinkled some crumbs into the hole. They smelled it. Came rushing out of the hole. At first, bunches of ten or so, then twenties and thirties. Within minutes, all the floors of my house breathed in unison with a pulsating wave of a thousand mutant rats, fighting for food, pissing for territory, and when they couldn't reach the bait, they ate each other's scabs. I put on as much clothing as I could, but it was just the usual. A couple of jumpers, a pair of boots, gloves, I didn't really own much else. Then I lowered myself down into the foundations of my house. The stench of piss was even worse down there. It was almost pitch black, but as my eyes acclimatized to the darkness, I could see how wrong my assumption had been. There was a tunnel, but it wasn't a sewer. I felt around the edges of the opening, marked with grooves where the rats had burrowed with their massive teeth. Oh, shit! Look, I didn't want to do it, but figured... I had no choice. If they found me now, in among all these diseased creatures, they'd put me in prison instead. That wouldn't save me from the rats. It would save them, though. I climbed down into the tight hole. It was big enough for me to kneel and crawl, but how long that would last, I, I didn't know. I think part of me still hoped it would lead to some old sewer where I could run run to the outskirts of the city. I scraped my way through the hole for a few minutes, trying to imagine the barrage of fur brushing off my face and body was just a bunch of cute puppies trying to say hello. That was until one of them bit me. I tried to kneel up, but I hadn't realised the tunnel had gotten smaller. Too small to kneel up, almost too small to even move my shoulders. Another rat bit at my face. I try not to think of all the diseases I might get. Of course, that just made me think of all the diseases I might get. Cholera, typhus, hantavirus, the, the plague, the pox. I push myself backwards, 
to a slightly wider part of the tunnel, took off my top jumper and wrapped it around my face. I didn't know how much good that would do, but it made me feel better nonetheless. I crawled further down the tunnel. I wasn't sure, but it felt like I was I was turning a corner. I could feel the rats pushing down on my flesh to make gaps in the airtight plug my waist and shoulders made with the wall. I couldn't help it. The smell, the fear, the rats converged around my face, tearing at my jumper. They were hungry. I wanted to go back. This was stupid. So stupid. I couldn't go back. If they thought I was infected, they'd quarantine me. At this point, they could they could cleanse me if they had the inclination. Through the crush of rats, biting my face, licking my vomit, tearing at my jumper, I saw I saw a light. Just ahead. The hole was was tight. Too tight. Was I stuck? I was stuck. More rats latched onto my face, slipping into the holes of my jumper, trying to eat my vomit. I pushed through, squeezed towards the light. I got my feet beneath me and pushed up into the vertical channel of the tunnel. This hole was even smaller. The rats nibbled at my boots. I, I slipped my hand above my head and wedged my shoulders into that crack. I wriggled leaning from side to side just to slip one shoulder slightly higher than the other the rocks tore into my arms I was close close enough to touch the small opening I, I brushed at it with my fingernails a rat squeezed between my belly and the wall scratching its way up my chest and started biting at my mouth again I could feel the rest of them crawling up my legs trying to get through I pushed the loose dirt away from the hole and wriggled my arms out, up to my chest, then then pushed the rest of my body out of the hole. I pulled the rat off my face, but it rushed back at me. I stamped at it, crushing its whole body under my boot. I could hear the rest of the rats crawling through the tunnel. I grabbed a large rock and rolled it over the hole. It probably wouldn't keep them inside, but it would at least give me a second to collect myself. I stared down at the twisted body of the rat I'd just killed. It twitched. I hit it with a rock. I'm sorry. I looked down at my recorder. Broken. It could still play, but the microphone was garbage. I wasn't going to share my experience with the rats until the priests shared their version. I'm not proud of killing that rat. I felt terrible. But I never harmed those militia men. If you go to my house right now, you'll see. You'll see that I'm not lying. Those rats have probably taken the whole place over. If you get the chance, you should burn it to the ground. That's why I had cuts all over my face at the funeral. You were all there. You saw them. Jerry never mentioned the rats in his little pitch cast, did he? No. No, he doesn't want you to get scared. The Order have tried to kill every rat, mouse, bird and general pest in Salitra. 
At least they thought they did. All they really did was drive them underground where we couldn't get to them. At the funeral, I could see Mason desperately wanted to arrest me, but he couldn't. Not in front of all of you. Not before the new high priest officially made me a criminal. I think he planned to wait until the high priest had finished his speech, until all of you had left. Then silently he would just get rid of me. Pity for him and Arnold. They never got the chance. He was as High Priest Arnold threw the first of three plastic roses onto the pyre, Captain Mason took a plastic tie from his pouch. Make a scene if you want. I walked away from him, into the crowd. People turned to look. Arnold didn't stop speaking, he just flicked his finger to the two militia standing next to him. They looked uncertain, but he just nodded his head towards me. There was the I backed into the crowd. Mason and the two militia guards followed slowly, trying not to cause a scene at this grave event. Someone grabbed me, but I batted them away and kept moving further, further into the crowd. Mason was angry that he'd lost me before. When I finally made it to Mate's house, after my escape... After the forest, a couple of days before the funeral, I searched that place, top to bottom. You could see why it was the high priest's official residence. It was the only house I'd ever seen that wasn't at least partly made of corrugated metal or scraps scavenged by multipliers in the outlands. The whole thing was brick, concrete, marble and oak. It was beautiful. Well, until the militiamen destroyed it, of course. They'd even gone so far as to punch head-sized holes in the hollow drywalls, which used to connect this house to other houses on its long-since overgrown street. At first, I tried to evade the moving cameras, but then I figured they'd look there soon enough either way. So I'd be better off thinking logically about where the high priest might have hidden something. I ran through everything I knew about high priest Mate, what he might have, why he might have it, and where he might hide it. High Priest Arnold, what he might want, and why he might want it, and how that all might relate to Yandera McConnell, the murder, and what I'd found out so far. First, High Priest Mate was top of the order, so honestly, he could have had anything. He knew about everything Arnold knew, and probably more. So there were too many things to consider there. However, as for why he might hide it, whatever it was, Arnold knew it existed. Otherwise, why would he look for it? If he was looking for it, then he didn't know where it was. Obviously. Which means it's something which was either entirely private to Mate, or it was something which Mate wanted to hide from Arnold specifically. Arnold was currently looking for it in Samuel Frinka's house too, and he passively thought that I might have it. Which is why the militia captain searched me at Frinka's house. That means Arnold didn't believe it was entirely private to Mate, therefore it was mainly hidden just so Arnold wouldn't find it. So, whatever it was, 
It was something which Matt I didn't want Arnold to find, but which Samuel Frinka, or even I, therefore possibly anyone except Arnold, may have been entrusted with. I skipped the where for the time being and moved on to Arnold. What might he want? Well, what's his modus operandi? So far, he has done everything he can to stop me from asking questions. He's even tried to imprison me with no charges whatsoever, allegedly for my own safety. He's trying to control me. Then, Samuel Franca. The Order hated Samuel Franca, but Mate couldn't have hated him that much. They lived within a hundred yards of each other. And assuming Arnold knows more about Mate and Franca than I do, a fair assumption, then he clearly knows that they were close enough that Mate might have given Franca something to hide. I would just have to assume, for the moment, that whatever it was they were looking for, Mate had kept hold of. I saw him in that moving picture. Yanderu surprised him. He didn't know he was going to die that night. The moving picture recorders. Another of Arnold's delights. For security. Again. Security. Control. Arnold wants control. So whatever Mate hid must be something that could give Arnold more control. The why is pretty self-evident. It's difficult to become high priest. Only a certain kind of person can get there. Arnold is undoubtedly that kind of person. Back to the where. If I were Mate, I thought, where would I hide something? From Arnold specifically, which might give him more control. If I'd known why Yandero killed Mate, that might have been the biggest clue of all. I didn't, and still don't know. Yet. They'd searched two houses so far, that I knew of. That meant it was small enough to be hidden in a house. Assuming Arnold knew what it was, I looked around at the state of the house. Overturned sofa, cracked marble countertop where they'd clearly smashed it with hammers, holes in the walls. The holes in the walls. The holes in the walls. They were small. No more than the circumference of a single head. It would have been dark in those holes, so there would be no point in sticking your head in there so they must have punctured the walls to stick their arms in. Therefore, whatever it was, was small enough to fit in your hand. Where was the one place that Arnold wouldn't look? I didn't know Arnold well enough to know where he would never look, but Mate would have. He trained Arnold. He would have known everything about him. When I was at Frinka's place, Arnold led the search, so I assumed that must have been true for Mate's house too. I figured the most efficient plan would be to look around the house for everywhere that Arnold had searched. It looked like everywhere, but I thought it might tell me a little more about him. Kitchen. Smashed the marble countertop. Tore apart the walls. Ripped apart the cupboards. Pulled up the floorboards. Opened up the fabric of the sofas and chairs. In fact, all the furniture was ruined. Even the ceiling had been ripped apart. Living room. Fireplace, bricks and all. Furniture, again. Plush red carpet, destroyed. Windows broken, taken out of their frames. Ceiling, again. Dining room. Walls, ceiling, furniture, windows, floorboards, inside the doors. Stairs. They tore up the carpet, broke the walls. Checked every step, broke the rail in several places. Bedroom same again. Plus, they broke open the electric heater. I can't believe the high priest gets a fucking heater. Study. 
I had high hopes for the study, but it looked like that was where Arnold most expected to find it. I hadn't realised from outside, but this whole corner of the house, walls and all, had been destroyed in the search. Now it's basically just an upstairs garden. When I searched the desk, which was lying on its side, I found a stash of stuff in one of the drawers. One thing looked kind of like a recorder, but it wasn't like any I'd ever seen. It was black, with four huge buttons protruding from the side. Three black, one red. When I pressed one of them, the front of it opened, revealing a little, removable, see-through plastic thing with a thin brown ribbon wrapped around two spindles. I shut the compartment and pressed the red button. It whirred into action. I pressed stop, then the back button. I fiddled around like this for a while until I got the hang of it. The recording sounded like this. Hello? Hello? Testing. This is Alicia August. I'm searching Malte's house for something. Wait, wait, is this the thing? When I played it back and realised how bad the quality was, I figured there was no way this could be the thing they were after. Besides, they clearly looked in that desk. Either way, I figured it was better than the one the rats destroyed, so it would tide me over until I could get home and grab my own stash of recorders. I checked almost everywhere, including a few rooms I haven't mentioned, all of them in various states of disrepair. That's when I caught my reflection in a shard of glass. It was pretty shocking. And although I was still angry, I could see why Mason, the militia captain, had been so concerned about my face. The rats had bitten it into pieces. Through the adrenaline of my search and escape, I hadn't noticed how bad it was. I mean, I knew it was bleeding, but my whole face was painted red, all the way down my neck. It was, it was pretty frightening, even for me. On top of that, my face, neck, hands and legs were covered in open sores where the rats had torn at my skin, plus a few gashes from the rocks in their tunnel. I knew I'd never get out of town looking like that. Someone would spot the red lady a mile away and call for help regardless of whether or not they were actively looking for me. I didn't want to leave a trace in Mate's house, but then I had no choice. The whole place was a mess, and I'd probably leave the smell of rat piss behind no matter what, so I ran into the bathroom. I knew the militia captain would check Mate's house soon, so I needed to hurry. Thankfully, they'd left Mate's washcloths behind, mostly clean. Small mercies. As I sat on the toilet, wiping my wounds with those cloths, I looked around the bathroom. Also destroyed. Ceiling, bath, walls, tiles, everything ripped apart. I was running out of time. I leaned back on the toilet to wash those hard-to-reach areas. That just hit home how much better the priests had it than the rest of us. The high priest especially. I couldn't piss without my toilet jiggling around. If I even still had a toilet. Mate's toilet was rock solid, white porcelain, extremely clean. Considering how much the order despises impoliteness, it didn't surprise me that it looked like it had never been used. In fact, it looked like no one had ever touched it. Then I realised, all those places that Arnold searched... What they all have in common? They were clean, structural, clever. He would never search a toilet. 
because it would never occur to him that a fellow member of the order might put something so important, so significant, inside a toilet. Alicia? Alicia? When I heard the militia captain calling out for me, the sound of his voice made me think maybe he really was here to help. I gave myself over to him and... (laughs) Yeah, right. No. I knew he would check upstairs sooner or later. I got down on my knees and stuck my hand into the toilet. I'd touch worse things that day than the diluted shit of five high priests. I got my hand as far up as the trap. Nothing. The militia captain was coming up the stairs. I couldn't go back. You see that, don't you? I ran out of the bathroom and into the wallless study. I climbed out over the lowest section of the remaining wall and lowered myself down, then let go and crumpled onto the ground. Alicia! I know you're here. Around me, on the perimeter of Mate's clearing, the militia searched for me in the forest. Unlike the industrial mess of Frinka's clearing, Mate's almost sparkled, it was so clean. Just grass, flat trimmed grass, a few holes where the militia must have dug, and the brown patch where I lay. Nothing else to hide behind. If anyone cared to look my way, they'd see me, immediately. I lay on the ground, hoping that might give me a few minutes more time. There was no way out. Any way I went, they would catch me, I'd be done. Would they put me in prison? Or would they kill me? This whole thing had been for nothing. I thought I should have just gotten out when I had the chance. Whatever that thing was, I was never going to find it. Mate had managed to hide it from Arnold and the entire militia. It was stupid of me to think I could do any better. But then humility never was my most abundant feature. Mason, obviously disgusted by the present I'd left him. I rolled away from Mate's bubbling cess tank and the brown sludge that flowed out the top of it. I looked back around the forest and up at the house. Still trapped. They knew I was here. They were going to close it down. Any second, Mason would enter that study, look down, and stare right at me. I got ready to run. I mean, I'd never make it, but figured it was worth a try. Planted my hand on the ground, started to get up, but then my hand slipped in the slurry from Mate's tank. Right then, I was kind of thankful to the rats. Without them, I never would have had the guts to take a dip in a tank full of shit. I left Mate's recorder on the ground and covered it in some grass. I wasn't about to lose my only means of collecting evidence. I gently pushed the lid over and slipped inside. It was cold and thick. I submerged myself up to just under my nose so I could still attempt to breathe. To be honest, I held my breath anyway. If you ever wondered about it, shit doesn't get better with age. And that container was filled with the excrement of five separate high priests. I slipped the lid back on, almost the whole way. Just enough off that I could see Mate's house. Mason entered the study, looked around the grounds, then he called out to the other militiamen searching the woods. They started walking back towards Mate's house. Good, I thought. They were going to give up the search. Or at least search elsewhere. That would give me time to get away and regroup. I took another deep breath and held it, trying to forget the stench as it burned into my nostrils. 
I heard the squelch of boots getting closer. Closer. Suddenly, the lid of the cess tank slammed shut and pushed my whole head into the sludge. I fought every urge I had to breathe or to push my way back up. I pushed my hands against the wall of the cess tank, as if that was going to fill my lungs with air. That's when I felt it. A small cube, big enough to fit in my hand, stuck to the side of the tank. It felt like it was covered in some kind of film. I ripped it from the wall. My mouth opened and sludge dripped in, but I just managed to shut my throat with my tongue. My body wanted to breathe, but I fought against the palpitations of my spasming chest. Then, I had no choice. I pushed the lid open and pulled myself out onto the grass. When I finally finished coughing, I looked up at Mate's house. They'd seen me all right, but they just stood there, staring at me in disbelief. I flipped them a no, grabbed Mate's recorder and took off into the forest just as they started jumping off the study to chase me. I was in agony, but with no time to feel the pain. I ran as fast as I could without stopping. In the forest, I changed directions a few times, then went east, I think? Out of the woods, then through a crater and over an ancient dilapidated bridge. I had to jump over a gap in the middle to stop from falling about 50 feet into the dirt below. I kept running and running. I don't know how far. It had to be at least a few kilometers. I knew I'd lost them in the forest already, but I didn't want to look behind me to find out for sure. I ran up that steep dirt hill that props up the spire iron. I thought, maybe, if I could see where they were, I could figure out the best way to run. I fell. just love the smell of fresh cut grass and barley. Walking through those broken stalks and sipping on the pure, unadulterated beverage they created. There's no such thing as a higher power. But if it was, I bet he'd be drinking nominee beer. In fact, he might just quit his job after the very first sip. Nominee beer. If that was a god, we'd be purer. When I woke up, my arm was bandaged. Broken. I was so concerned with escaping from Captain Mason, I fell through a hole in the hill and into one of the middle floors of the spire iron. From where I was lying, I could see one of those old people boxes that used to take them up and down. The label above it said, 74. Next to me sat an elderly woman. She couldn't have been any less than 50 years old. Her name was Hunda. She'd found me the day before I woke up. She'd cleaned me up, dressed the wounds all over my face and body and splinted my arm. These are the kinds of things multipliers learn to do by themselves. I'd never spoken to a multiplier. Not directly, anyway. Honda was different. There was something about her. Something I recognized, but I couldn't tell what it was. 
By the time she gave me some soup and fresh water, I didn't care anymore either. I did ask her if she wouldn't mind me recording our conversations. When would I ever get a chance to record a multiplier in private ever again? She didn't have a problem with it. She held what looked like a small recorder to her throat whenever she spoke, and a voice came from the box instead of her mouth. Why did she help me? Seems like the right thing to do. Thank you. That's... I just, I wouldn't have expected that from a... From a liar. You said you found me yesterday. Have you been here all that time? Left to get some food and supplies for you. But won't your owners... Sorry, I, I mean, uh... I don't have any owners. So, you're not a multiplier then? I was. Once. Just like you. I wasn't about to correct her. Honda passed me a cup of beer. I help the pain. It didn't taste like Namini. Actually, it tasted better. If anything, it made Namini beer taste like Mate's cesspit sludge. In any other situation, I might have inquired. I might have connected that beer to the money and the commercial someone dropped off at my house, but I had so many other things on my mind. Did you escape from wherever you were before? Yes. I think I should tell you, I... I know who you are. Don't worry. You can use this on your pitch girls. She winked at me, like we were both in on some kind of dirty joke. I know you just use it anyway. Then cut out the part where I said no. That's not true. Yes, it is. But that's okay. I want to be on your show. My kids would love it. You've got kids? Did you all escape? They never worked. Just not for the Namini thieves. So I guess you know what I'm working on already. I'd say you're working on getting yourself killed. I've heard that before. Make sure this isn't the last time you hear it. We talked. And I told her everything. I didn't want to, but she was just so good at listening. I couldn't help but speak to her. It was like she knew my deepest secrets already, and all I had to do was speak them. Every time I told her something which I had thought was a deep dark revelation, she just nodded along as if she already knew. When I got to the talking squirrels, she laughed. Understandable. But then she said something really weird. It likes to do that. Makes it all seem so miraculous. What do you mean by it? She just shook her head and gestured for me to continue. I told her about Franca. She nodded and... Don't go to that funeral. What? Why? Don't go 
That's all. I have to go. Didn't you hear a word I just said? A thin, wiry teenager jogged around the corner. He saw me and stopped. I don't think he expected me to be awake. Honda turned towards him and shook her head. Don't, she seemed to say. I didn't know it at the time, but that wiry teenager was the same multiplier who would almost cry at Frinka's funeral the next day. You speak the Aphis tongue? <laughs> the Aphis tongue? The secret language of the priests? No. No, we don't speak the pig language. I have something. I don't have it with me. It's a... I know what you have. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you listen to the pitchcast. She smiled at me. She had something I wanted, and she knew it. Somehow, I had a feeling that I had something she wanted too, but I couldn't tell what it was. Go home and get your things. Meet me here at four o'clock tomorrow, and I will take you somewhere safe. Okay. And don't go to that funeral. Of course, I went to the funeral. She was just a crazy old liar anyway, right? Probably senile or drunk from all that premium beer. I mean, it was damn good. Was it her that left the money and the commercial in my house? No. No, too old. Could have been the teenager, though. Plus, when she said we, I got the sense that there were more than just a couple of them, wherever the safe place was. Before the funeral, I snuck back to my house. No militia. They were either scared to leave their troops with the rats or didn't care if I returned. The rats didn't seem so hungry this time round, and they moved out of my way while I gathered up some equipment and supplies. As the new high priest finished speaking, he threw his final plastic rose onto Frinka's pyre. Mason encroached with his two inferiors. The umbrage in his eyes at having lost me before was palpable. The crowd, annoyed at the impoliteness, started to grab hold of me. Then, Honda's multiplier, the one who had been serving drinks, had thrown something at Arnold. The other two threw glasses of what I guessed was beer at him, covering him from head to toe. No one in the crowd guessed what was happening at first. But Arnold did. He tried to run, but the other two multipliers grabbed him and held him still. Mason forgot all about me and ran at the multipliers, rifle raised. Arnold pushed back against them, clearly petrified of whatever it was they'd thrown at him. But then, Arnold changed the direction of his efforts and pulled them both into Frinka's pyre. All three of them caught the flames. The two multipliers screamed in agony and backed away from the fire. Honda's multiplier gave me one final punitive glance, then disappeared into the crowd. Through the screams of the flaming multipliers, Arnold's screams pierced, his whole body completely aflame. But he ran over the fire, 
stamping out the last remnants of Franca's bodily structure and into the crowd of people who jumped out of his way, including the militia captain. <coughs> the two multipliers died instantly. Several of our citizens were caught in the blast too. Despite the madness, the perimeter of multipliers didn't move. They stayed there, with their heads down as if still passively mourning at some guy's funeral. Arnold collapsed into the river, the flames quenched in the irradiated water. Several of the militia dragged him out. At the time, I didn't know if he had lived or died. I'm guessing now that he lived, but I can't know for sure. When I escaped, I ran to the place that Hunda had told me to meet her. I waited until around six, but she never showed up. I figured the teenager had told her that I'd gone to the funeral, and she decided I wasn't worth the trouble. It was getting dark, and I needed somewhere safer to hide. Couples sometimes go for hikes up to the spire iron. I did a piece about it a few years ago. Anonymous interviews with couples about all the seedy and polite things they got up to on the various levels of that structure. I didn't think anyone would be hiking around Salitra anytime soon, but still, I couldn't take the risk. I assumed, correctly, that the Order would try to place the blame of the funeral incident on me. No one could be allowed to believe that the passive, semi-sentient multipliers had the ability to murder, much less rebel against peace and prosperity. I found somewhere safe-ish. I'm not telling you where it is. Not yet, anyway. Not until I find Honda and her teenager, and whoever else she's hiding out with. Not until I find out why and where Yandera McConnell got that recording. Until I find out why High Priest Arnold either didn't know what it said, or lied about it. In the meantime, other questions had sprung up. What was the cube I found at Mate's house, and why was it so important? And, most important to me, what did High Priest Arnold know that he wanted to keep from me so badly that he was willing to destroy my life to hide it? See you soon, Arnold.